The GovEx show is supported by Forrester, helping government organisations perform at their best. Visit forrester.com to learn more. I'm James Smith, Content Director here at GovEx Digital, and welcome to the latest episode of The GovEx Show, now brought to you for the first time in association with our friends at Forrester Research, a company that shares our commitment to, I guess, empowering public sector executives to turn good ideas into great outcomes. We'll be hearing more from Forrester in future episodes, but today we're speaking with Maria Farres, Head of Organisational Development and Talent at Essex County Council. Maria has been tasked by her chief executive to map out what a long-term shift to a hybrid model of remote and face-to-face working would look like and how the ways that Essex County Council works may need to change to enable this future. For podcast regulars, it will come as no surprise that Maria has gamely agreed to join me in a panel discussion along with Google's Matt Stevens and the Managing Director of Belgium's International Development Agency, Enable, to talk about the future of remote working in government at next month's GovEx Digital Conference. So this is one of many self-contained 90-minute sessions that are, I suppose, the building blocks of our conference, where you get to choose which sessions interest you the most and register for them for free if you're public sector. Uh, and all the details for this, of course, will be in the show notes. So I realise that today's episode is a little bit meta, uh, as Maria and I have a remote conversation about our upcoming remotely delivered conference, where we will be talking about remote working in government. If this episode was a film, it would be Inception. Thankfully, it's not quite so long. Maria, a very warm welcome to the GovEx show. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you. Great stuff. Now, uh, I am particularly excited today to have you on the show because I do have to declare a bit of a professional interest and not a lot of people know this I think I mentioned this to you before but I'm originally from Essex and even though life has led me uh, many miles away from the county of my birth whenever I get a glimpse of the Essex County Council's logo those those three curved swords it puts a a smile on my face so uh, I think for the benefit of of our non-Essex listeners or, or viewers on YouTube, I'm going to have to try very hard to keep my enthusiasm in check for this episode. Uh, so whilst I um, try to keep my enthusiasm in check, perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about, I suppose, the, the scope of your role at Essex County Council. Sure. So I am Head of Organisational Development and Talent Management, which means that I'm responsible for the areas of um, change, which we have a little bit at the moment around, learning development, uh, management and leadership development, talent, uh, employee experience, and then performance consultants to support our teams to be the best they can be. So it's a, it's quite a wide and varied portfolio. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously you were just mentioning a second ago that uh, before we press record that you're just coming off of uh, something you call is it the Learning Fest at Essex County Council, which, which sounds quite... Uh, quite a, a large undertaking. What, what, what's all that about? So learn first. This is the second year we're doing it. And obviously this year we had to change the format. But it's basically um, a way we have to celebrate learning in Essex County Council. 
and to really demonstrate that learning happens in many different ways. And we want to make learning a social event, a celebration event. Everybody recognizes how important it is. So over a period of days, this time over three days, we organize more than 100 learning events of um, keynote speakers, masterclasses, workshops. Some of them are delivered by our external uh, speakers. Some of them are delivered by teams within the organization that are quite eager to, uh, to share some of the learning and some of the skills they have. Um, so we have um, um, keynote speakers about the future of work or how to build psychological safety, or we have um, our adult community learning center um, doing uh, providing sessions around how to learn Spanish or um, Italian, or we have um, how you can do visual uh, note taking or um, continuous improvement. So it's a whole variety and it's quite intense. We have more than 3,000 bookings, 3,500 3, bookings this year. And today's the last day. So we are pushing it, uh, but it's just so great to see the whole um, county really involved and, and enjoying learning, which is something we wanted to try. Well, I think that sounds fantastic. And congratulations for, for making it uh, through the, the, the week of activities, three and a half thousand uh, sessions booked. <laughs> There's no uh, small feat, uh, all being delivered uh, remotely. I think that not only is it great that you know you're maintaining that commitment to, to, to learning within the team at Essex County Council, but obviously, uh, I think now more than ever, it's uh, it's really important to um, to provide staff with opportunities to engage with ideas and engage with one another. Obviously, with everyone having to work remotely, so uh, I'm sure that was you know very uh much appreciated uh, sort of series of uh, sessions thank you very much as i said, i mean the team organizing the, the event um absolutely fantastic they pull all of the stocks and a lot of the things we try this year was the first time we were trying it so a lot of learning for us too great um so i mean obviously uh you've uh, you know you've had a uh, a varied career that's led you to Essex County Council. Do you want to perhaps sort of give a few of the sort of the key highlights, I suppose some of the, the milestones as you look back at your career, which has led you to, to where you are today? Um, so when I started university, I joined an international leadership development organization called ISEC. And it is present in more than 100 countries, um, has been operating for 70 years. And the aim is to develop um, youth leadership. So then they can basically go and change the world. So small mission there. But um, <clears throat> so the organization is completely run by students and recent graduates. And then every year um, the leadership changes. You have to get elected to a leadership position. Uh, it lasts for a year. You can uh, run a second year for the position, uh, but you still have to be elected. So you organization full of young people that want to change the world and they have one year to make it happen um, so you can imagine the energy the passion the drive um, that happened there um, and the reason why I'm, I'm it's not just because I started my career there so I started as a, a volunteer and then I worked there full-time at a national level and then international level but it's because that's the perfect example of showing how um, leadership needs to be developed by doing because you have that year and you just can try anything. It's a low risk environment. At the end of the day, it's an organization. You're, so you're not risking your, your future, your, 
mortgage house, whatever. Um, so you, you just try things, you just go and do, and you engage with um, multinational organizations, with governments, with the students from across the world. You put in place projects, you mobilize, you engage. Um, so that was a brilliant way of start my career. And then I started working in the area of organizational development without knowing that I was working in organizational development because it was around working with all the different kind of people processes in organizations to support the delivery of our strategy. So leadership, management, talent, uh, change, uh, learning and development, all that combined and how can people be more powerful together than just if you look at their processes one by one. So I then spent one year in Uganda working for PricewaterhouseCoopers there. I work in, um, as an HR associate. Um, I discovered I didn't like that part of HR, but it was really good to try it. And then from there, I moved to the Netherlands and I worked for three years there for a bank in the area of organization development. So um, financial institution, global bank, such headquarters, it had a particular culture. Um, so it was good for three years, but then at one point decided that I wanted to be able to feel that I was contributing to something bigger and, and, and it wasn't enough for me. So then I moved to the UK and I started working for Westminster City Council as an uh, OD consultant. Um, I worked there for two and a half years um, and it gave me back that, that element that I was missing around that contribution, that working with individuals that had a vocation that wanted to have that impact in this case in the life of, of the residents. From there, then I moved to Christian Aid and I worked for six years there as a head of organizational development. So back to an international arena, this time in the third sector. So back to my roots, working with them to establish organizational development as a way to look at change. So how could we have a systemic way of looking at change? How could we um, understand how different things impact and how could we bring a strategy to life through the people in the organization. And then um, after that, I joined Essex County Council as a first as a head of leadership and talent. And then at the beginning of this year, uh, the role expanded and is now including all the other areas that I mentioned um, at the beginning. So those are the main highlights. That's quite a, a career progression. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating, obviously, you know, you've got that sort of multinational dimension of the Netherlands and Uganda. I mean, how exciting was that? You've got the, the voluntary sector work, you've got the cosmopolitan international sort of outlook, and obviously you've had experience both of, uh, you know, Westminster City Council, which is a you know, remarkable council in many ways. Uh, and now obviously at Essex. So how do you think that's shaped your outlook and, and, and sort of what has that brought to you in terms of skill sets that you're able to bring to, to Essex County Council? So I've worked, as, as you say, across different countries, continents, sectors, demographics. Um, so first is that level of learning and adaptability. So I can work in industry. Uh, I, I'm almost like industry agnostic. So I can bring, I can help organizations navigate complexity independently in which sector they are, because I can have experience different, so I can understand that. So that's one thing. The other thing is also make me realize that a lot of the issues are actually the same 
in whichever country, sector, and it has to do, a lot of them, the core of it is, has to do with managers and how managers understand what their role is. Um, and you can see in all those organizations, uh, the kind of the, the wrong perception that managers have a day job and then on top of that, they have to manage the people. And it's almost like an add-on, so they don't have time to do that. And, and, and the, one of the reasons for that is organizations haven't really invest enough on helping them develop their managerial mindset. What does it mean to be a manager? How can we help people to do the transition? So they were brilliant contributors. They were experts on something. They were doing really well. And then as a reward, they got promoted. And now they need to start managing people. But the main transition there that we ask them to do is to move from delivering results themselves to deliver results through others. But we haven't helped them manage that transition, understand that transition, change the mindset so they can do that. So that's an issue that I've seen in all those organizations that I mentioned before. Um, so it's fascinating to see how they play out in different sectors in different countries. Uh, I think we'll dig into that in a second, but perhaps we can just round off, I suppose, the introduction of, of who you are and sort of, uh, and, and sort of your, your, your personality by maybe just sharing what do you like to do when you're uh, not obviously busy working at Essex County Council. What do you do in, in your downtime? I don't have much of that. <laughs> I have three very energetic small boys uh, that keep me really entertained when I'm not working. So they are nine, eight, and almost six. So um, I mean, say no more. I mean, clearly very little in the way of free time if you've got three. <laughs> Rambustious boys uh, to, to sort of look after. Uh, so um, perhaps uh, another tack then. So obviously, you know, you, uh, you now work in, in Essex. Uh, do you want to maybe give uh, our, our viewers from, from out, out of uh, side of the county some, some ideas about some of the, sort of the highlights of, of life in the county, whether places to visit or experiences that you've had in Essex? So Essex, it's a fascinating place to live. You have a huge variety of places. So you have cities like Pensville, Vibrant, Commercial. You have Colchester, one of the oldest ones. Then you have incredible country parks, the coast. I mean, everybody knows about Clapton and Southend, but with the kids, I'd rather go to more towards uh, Walton, Frinton, because you have that big place for them to run. And I don't have to keep saying no when they want to go to the arcade. So it's a perfect place for me. <laughs> Yeah, South End's Golden Mile is a bit of a money trap, but uh, but certainly you're right. I mean, obviously Essex. This, this is where I try to rein in my enthusiasm for the place. But obviously, <laughs> fantastic sort of coastal, uh, uh, whether it's the you know the, the sort of the wild marshes of Mersey or as you say the 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 seaside resorts or the smaller towns. But as you say, Colchester, I mean, just a fantastic town. Uh, beautiful Norman Castle, wonderful Dutch Quarter off the High Street. Lots of arts and crafts facilities. Uh, so uh, certainly, if there's anyone listening from uh, from visit Essex and there's a an opportunity in in your marketing team, please do consider me for the role. But uh, um, anyway, moving back <laughs> to the, the podcast. So I suppose 2020 obviously has been a transformative year for all of us. How has it been uh, in terms of the, the working practices at Essex County Council? <laughs> so, public sector, local government, uh, we had 
the incredibly difficult task to not only care for our employees, so we had to do the transition of you can't work in the offices, but also we needed to continue to deliver services and they were vital services for the communities, more vital than ever. And we had to put in place very quickly new services like um, support to the shielding communities, for example, um, things like that. Um, <clears throat> so it has been absolutely amazing to see the response of Essex County Council and the teams. The, the drive, the energy, the speed of where things done, the collaboration, not just with the with Essex County Council, but with the whole system, with the whole county, and how things could be mobilized and put in place. Um, <clears throat> we've done, uh, so from one day to the other, we had to close the offices. We also had to put down services, like for example, libraries or country parks. So we had a staff that we could then redeploy to other areas, so we had to manage that. Uh, as I said, we had to um, put up services very quickly. So the whole support to shield and community, welfare services, um, well as changing the way we were delivering some services like libraries, for example, the, um, the uptake on um, e-books went through the roof <laughs> during the, the lockdown, the pandemic, or we had to transition the uh, adult community learning that they were face-to-face, -face, transfer all those into, Digital, so a huge change on what services we had to, we needed to deliver, how we needed to deliver, uh, and who needed to deliver them. Um, so, and although I say that uh, we had to move to work remotely, we can't forget that we did have a, a large part of our staff that couldn't couldn't go and work from home. They didn't have the comfort of being at home when all this was happening. They had to be on the front line. Um, social workers. Um, supporting care homes, um, supporting the vulnerable, um, the whole area around transport, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a huge undertake to, to change it, but one that, I mean, we couldn't be prouder of what the, uh, the teams have delivered. And uh, I suppose, I mean, what, what was required from an organizational point of view to support your teams through this, obviously, unexpected and profound transition in how they work? We put a lot of effort around the well-being support uh, because it was clearly, um, and it continues, shock to the system, isn't it? And uh, the unknown anxiety, the risk level. So we were quite fortunate because we had started the previous year in November, the journey towards kind of a more digital learning. We had a new learning system. We had started that, so it was easier for us, I think, than all the organizations that weren't there yet. So we could build, for example, a well-being portal in a matter of a week with all new well-being resources, some of them very COVID-specific, like, for example, bereavement support that unfortunately was needed. Um, so we were able to do that. We also were able to put um, a good library of resources around managing remote working. Some of our managers and teams, this was the first time they were, we were working remotely. Um, and we, we, we shouldn't underestimate the change that that implies and, and how much you need to change um, how you approach work. Um, from the small little things of the interactions to the big ones of how you manage performance. Huge difference. And also we needed to do that with the backdrop, backdrop of the COVID-19. So kids were at home. I mean. I've been working with three kids at home. That has been 
quite an adventure, I have to say. And um, so we needed to support the managers and the teams to understand how better adapt to that situation and how they could do it. But it's still the council delivered the services, not only the normal services, but all those extra ones that were required. So that one's. The other thing that the other support was we had been rolling out slowly in a plan, a structured way, um, Office 365, including Teams. Now we had to supercharge that implementation and put it in osteosteroids. We had to do it for the whole rest of the organization in less than, than a week. And the IT team um, supported by some of our change people did it. And it was extraordinary. So from one week to the other, we went from let's say 10% people using team to the full organization using teams to the maximum. Uh, and it wasn't just about using the teams to make calls, but really helping them understand. So for example, um, we supported our senior managers to put in place live events so they could really more frequently engage directly with the workforce. Uh, and that has been hugely appreciated and the staff workforce feel that they have been well supported throughout this period. So you, you've been asked, I know uh, from your chief executive at Essex County Council, to sort of look into, I suppose, the, the long-term implications of remote working. What, I suppose, are, are the questions that you're looking to answer? So he, he had an hypothesis. His hypothesis was, we are seeing a lot of benefits on this way of working. There's, there are things that seem to be working. There are obviously things that we need to improve or whatever. But his hypothesis was, unless we made a conscious effort as an organization, once restrictions were lifted, the organization will go back to the default way of working. So what will we need to do? What conditions we needed to create to ensure that we retained the benefits of this way of working? So that was his premise. And we did several things. One of them is we did um, a really thorough research exercise and we put together um, multidisciplinary teams and we got people like um, academic research, user research, practitioners, and we had this digital remote working research group to understand what it was, but also how it was impacting our population, our workforce. And some of the main findings out of those research, or the most important one, was that remote working, yes, can have a really positive impact in productivity, but, and this was the big one for us, if it's by choice and not all the time. So what that gave us was around, actually as a Essex County Council, then we need to define that hybrid model that combines that working in the office and working remotely in whichever other locations you want in a way that can help the different services. Because we need to remember Essex County Council is a combination of many different services. I mean, you, you got social care on one side and you've got um, highways and waste management on the other. Um, you normally wouldn't find those services on the one organization in the private sector. So the needs of those services in terms of the ways of working are very different. So as a result of that research and the findings, what we are now doing is taking that further and we put in place, uh, we have a, a large organizational program called Ways of Working that is helping the services explore that. What needs to, how can we shape our hybrid model for the future? So I, mean, I think that one of the things which uh, strikes me is that people of my generation certainly 
sort of you know like to sort of refer to this as the new normal but obviously there are you know there are people in the organization who have sort of grown up as, as teenagers sort of you know in in a virtual environment sort of you know video chatting with their friends and so for them this is entirely normal and in fact the idea of of being physically linked to an office and doing 100% of your work there, if not now, certainly you know, in the coming years, it's going to seem very strange, I think, to, to many people because um, it's, a, it's a very backward looking way to, to view how, how work is done. Absolutely. So one of the keynote speakers we had in the LearnFest this week was Harriet Molinas from um, Hotspot Movement, and she works with Linda Gratton, um, and they, they do research around the future of work, and they help organizations to, to think about that. And some of the findings that she was sharing with us was that COVID has accelerated some of the trends that we were already seeing. So the question about where and when work needs to be done was already there. But now COVID has accelerated. So now we need to come up with our organizational responses to that where and when. But it's not just where and when, it's also the how, it's also the who. Um, we really need to reimagine work uh, and how work needs to be done um, to fit for the purpose, for the people that work in the organization, for the residents we served. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a huge exercise that we need to do. The other finding that, that she shared that is quite relevant for us at the moment uh, was around when we look when we talked about that where, and because that was very linked to our hybrid model, and that was around organization needs to become much better at identifying purpose, purposeful workspaces. So identify what tasks need to be done where. So it's not anymore about your role can be done here or there, it's more around within your role which tasks are better than at home, individually, and which tasks require a collaborative space, something where you can exchange ideas, you can have those serendipity contacts to increase creativity and innovation. And once that's defined, then how can we design the physical space to allow that? So offices then need to move from being a space where people went to do their individual work. So you had a number of desks and you will come and do your work. And then you had meeting rooms, but the meeting rooms were less. They were kind of the minority. They were the afterthought. And I mean, how many people in organizations always struggle to try to book a meeting room for <laughs> whatever. So we need to turn that in the head because we've seen that actually you can do that individual work at your home and you have the tools and, and, and you can keep the connection. But when it comes to that work that require that cross-fertilization of ideas, uh, that collaboration, that creativity and innovation, then if we could have a flexible spaces in the workplaces to allow people to come together, obviously when COVID is gone, <laughs> then that would be a much better use of that space. And uh, I suppose, I mean, what are the risks of, of, of this new blended sort of hybrid, remote, physical working sort of practice, what are some of the, the areas that you think organizations like Essex County Council need to pay cl close attention to? So a few of them. <laughs> One of them is well-being, because although um, remote working or distributed work, so teams being in different places uh, can have advantages, we also know that it can impact some individuals. Uh, we, we can't assume that everybody has 
a right uh, space in their own home to be able to do it. And especially if we look at the more kind of young people, they tend to live in shared spaces, shared flats, and spending the whole day in a small bedroom with a laptop sitting on the bed because they don't have a space to put a desk is not ideal. Now, we also need to understand that a lot of the isolation effects are not because of remote working, are because of COVID, and that we can't control, but we need to take it into account. But well-being is absolutely something critical. The second bit is around the, um, the social element. So the social element of teams, team bonding, building relationships, rapport, uh, that chemistry that was there. Uh, it's a risk because we, we, we're not in the office. Those, those small moments that help to build that wasn't there. Um, so we're gonna need to find a way to strengthen that. First in a virtual wall, uh, once restrictions still in place. And after that, how can we then be quite conscious about how we use the time that we will have together in that flexible office space? And then is around capability. So managing remote teams is not the same as managing teams that are all in the same space at the same time. Uh, now, we do have a lot of teams that were already working in that way. So our social workers, for example, because they are out and about visiting. So managers were quite used to that kind of people being over the place, but they still had the opportunity to bring them together at certain points. So then good practices could be shared and learning from other teams could be done. So it, it is important to, to look at how do we understand what's the difference between managing a team in the same place and managing a team that are not in that same place working. So one of the main challenges I think is about changing managing by the time you spend doing your work versus managing by outcomes. Because when you're working remotely, that's the only way you can. I mean, some quite disturbing news lately about um, spy software to, to track how employees work or managers requesting that you keep your camera on the whole day to see what you do. I can't think about something more um, alienating and <laughs> against everything you need to do to build a strong, uh, robust team. So we need to help with that, not just for the managers, but for the team members. So, always give this, this example. So my kids were at school and then they were sent to homeschool. I think we lasted for a week doing homeschool. <laughs> After that, all the plans were through the window. And then I realized that one of the main issues was that in the school, they get them prepared to complete tasks. They tell them what to do, when to do it, how long they have. And they have that super supervisory you know, element in the room. The teacher or the LSAs, they are there and they manage them. But schools haven't helped them, haven't uh, enabled them or prepared them for a situation where they will have to do that on their own. They were not ready to self-control, self-regulate, self-manage. Uh, and with the managers and teams moving into virtual, it's a little bit like that. If you come from an environment where the manager was supervising, checking, sometimes micromanaging, supervising the work you were doing, and you are asked then to move, what support have we given you as, an, as a team member to understand then what you can do, what you can do, how to do it, 
but also to manage it. You can't that you can't replicate that into a virtual environment. It doesn't work. I think you need to have uh, you know that 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 conversation with someone in authority to really sort of lay out what the expectations are and sort of provide some sort of uh, framework of responsibility. Which, which then empowers managers when they have their conversations with their teams to say, okay, this, these are the, the, the organizational sort of uh, perspectives on the, the new environment we find ourselves in. And this is how we're gonna fit within that. So I think it really comes from the top, that sort of vision about how the organization is going to work uh, in, in a new way. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why in this new kind of program that we have ways of working uh, where we explore in all those models. Uh, we have the board is it's, it's our um, corporate leadership team um, because they are heavily involved in shaping and really moving forward this this way. And they are the ones, as I said, um, connecting quite frequently with the workforce trying to clarify their expectations and be really clear about, we have this issue now, and I think a lot of organizations do, about the endless back-to-back -back calls on teams, which of course are not healthy. Um, so the CLT had a really strong role at saying, no, that's not acceptable. We need to stop that. And they role modeling that, but we can't have meetings that last as long. We need to have the breaks. We need to take care of our health. And we are now moving into the winter, isn't it? So, what can we do to allow our people to take advantage of what little sunshine we may have day to day? Because uh, we, we need, it's not just our duty um, as an employer, but we really do care about our people. Our people are, are what makes us be able to provide the services to the citizen, which at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. So we need to make sure that they, they, they can do it, that they are physically and mentally um, healthy so they can do it. And that, that comes across loud and clear and certainly really looking forward to obviously our, our session on uh, sort of remote working and, and sort, of, sort of out of office we called it in the in the conference in November so looking forward to both your presentation and obviously the the panel session that we're going to be organizing um I thought that we'll just end the episode as I like to do uh just inviting you to recommend a, a book or an article or something you've seen perhaps in a, a, a YouTube video or podcast uh, that you think is of professional interest and, and worth sharing with our audience? Um, okay, if I may, I think I'm going to talk about three books very quickly. <laughs> um, so I think, so I, I read a lot and I have, I'm quite lucky I have a few people in my team that do the same, so we exchange recommendations and things like that. So the three books that I would recommend, number one will be Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. She talks about the data gap and how that's shaping the world and what we need to do. Quite relevant for these times when we talk about PPE and, and medical tryouts and data disaggregated on COVID effects and so that. So you're, 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 the, you're the third speaker at the conference to recommend that book. It's a great book <laughs> and I'm delighted that uh, it's getting uh, an airing in a lot of these conversations I'm having. It deserves it deserves to be widely read. Absolutely. The second one will be uh, The Value of Everything by Mariana Matsukato. So she um, explains or she's trying to reposition capitalism, particularly based on um, kind of the new context. And she is arguing that 
there is a lot of value that has been created by the state, for example, that is being exploited by private companies. So there is a lot of research that public institutions do, but then it's capitalized by, by public private organizations without then that value going back to the public. So what she's saying is, it's not that capitalism is bad, is that the way we are doing it, it doesn't consider everybody, it's not inclusive, and is really, really interesting. I would highly recommend that one. That's one. Sorry. Transport for London um, gave out its data on sort of uh, ride usage, um, both on buses, but also on the tube to the private sector. And then the private sector sort of developed all sorts of new apps with it, uh, made everyone's life better by providing visibility on you know, when the bus is going to turn up, so you know, did good things with it, but is then selling back analysis of, of the data, which first came from Transport for London, but it's now selling back analysis back to Transport for London. So I think that you know, that's, that's not a fair exchange of value. It's value that was enabled by public sector public sector data assets uh, that was then sort of realized in the private sector but it's being sold back to the the the, the, the host organization the original organization that's created the data so i think that speaks exactly to, to what you're describing exactly what she's trying to do in that book is to redefine the concept of value at the moment we market it's a very skewed term on what it gives value to and she said actually that's it's not right so it's, I really recommend that one, yes. And then the last one will be The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson, which is absolutely critical this time and is around psychological safety. That's around how you can build teams in organizations where there is no fear to talk, to highlight if something has failed, it's not working, and you can support each other and learn continuously learning and adapting. And in a virtual environment, psychology safety is absolutely critical. So I highly recommend that book too. Well, I asked for one, you, you gave me three. Uh, I've got to say, I, I appreciate that. Our, our virtual library of recommendations for our audience at the conference has, has room enough for, for as many recommendations as possible. But, uh, but thank you for that. It's been great chatting through uh, your role, obviously, at Essex County Council, and certainly looking very much forward to our panel session together at the conference next month. Maria, thank you very much. Thank you, James. I tried very hard to keep my genuine and completely unironic love of all things Essex under control during the filming of this episode. So for the record, I do remain totally in the market for any future Visit Essex ambassador role that might come my way. As I mentioned in the intro, uh, Maria will be talking in more detail about Essex County Council's plans to, to help make hybrid working deliver for staff and residents uh, of England's greatest county, second longest coastline, least rain, best jam, surely the only KPIs that matter. Her presentation and the, the related panel discussion take place on the 19th of November and is supported by our partner, Google Chrome Enterprise. If you'd like to join us on a future episode of uh, the GovX show or share your personal enthusiasm for all things Essex, please do get in touch with us via our email address, partner at govx.digital. Look forward to seeing you on the line in the next episode of the GovX show.